listeners, it's another week of being unable to see you face to face, but we trust the Lord is sustaining you this morning. I would much prefer that this room be full right now, but we'll trust that God is using His Word even if we're separated from one another for a time. As we said last week, if you haven't worked through the order of service attached to this sermon, please take some time to do that this morning. I know it'll be perhaps a little crazy with kids if you have them, but take some time to at least sing the Word, read the Word, pray the Word together. All of those things, friends, help prepare our hearts to hear the Word of God. So please take some time to do that this morning. Our sermon text is Luke chapter 7, verses 36 to 50. Luke chapter 7, verses 36 to 50. It's a very, very moving passage from the Gospel of Luke, and I invite you to follow along with me. This is what the Holy Spirit says to the church, beginning in verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with her with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And Jesus said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord given to us for our good. Let's pray together. Father, we do ask for your grace in these unusual times that our hearts would be soft and our ears would be open to hear the word of God. Father, there is nothing more blessed in this life than to consider that a sinner can be forgiven by the mercy of God in Christ. Would you help us, Father, to appreciate 
and revel in that merciful forgiveness a bit more today. Please give us grace, God, to hear your word. Please help me, Father, to preach faithfully and help your people to hear it. And we do pray, God, that in uncertain days, the word of God would be solid and an anchor and like a rock for us and that our faith would not be moved. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Imagine walking into a room where everyone knows the worst thing you've ever done. Imagine knowing that all eyes are fixed on you and that silently all of those people are saying, you should be ashamed of yourself. We know about your past. We know that scandalous thing you did. We know the disgraceful way you've lived. Imagine the terror you would feel in that situation. Imagine the tangible sense of unworthiness that would cling to your every step. You would do everything in your power to avoid that room, wouldn't you? That would be the last place on earth you would ever want to go. Imagine such a moment. In our passage this morning, friends, we meet a woman who did not merely imagine such a moment. She lived it. The woman in Luke 7 walks into a room full of distinguished people where everyone knows her reputation. Luke tells us this woman is a sinner. He doesn't tell us exactly what her sin is, but it's notorious enough that she couldn't keep it secret. Perhaps she didn't want to keep it secret. Perhaps she had lived a outwardly and publicly immoral life without caring what people thought. Whatever the specifics, this woman is marked by sin. And as she walks into that room full of well-to-do dinner guests, everyone knows what she brings with her. And yet the woman walks in willingly, Luke tells us. Don't overlook that, friends. She doesn't even hesitate, it seems. What's more, she's visibly moved as she interrupts this dinner party. In other words, the woman wants to be in that room. Something compels her to come. Something enables her to endure the looks and the whispers and the judgment. And that raises one of the key questions of the passage, a question that helps us get to the heart of what Luke intends to teach us this morning. What is it that compels this woman to walk into this room? What is it that enables her to do what she does, to endure the looks, to display the emotion, to feel the affection? What compels this woman to come? Well, the answer, friends, is one of the most powerful realities in human life. The reality of forgiveness. Forgiveness. The woman in Luke 7 has experienced forgiveness. And that forgiveness is what compels her to walk into a room where everyone knows the worst thing she's ever done. The woman walks in because she's tasted the sweetest thing that a sinner can ever experience. The freedom of your slate being wiped clean. The good news of pardon and sin no longer held against you. But at the same time, friends, this emphasis on forgiveness is only part of the point. We must not miss 
forgiveness in this passage. That's essential. But even more so, we must not miss where this forgiveness is found. It's found with Jesus. Do you see it? The woman walks into that room because she wants to get to Jesus. She walks into that room because somewhere along the way, she's believed what this man Jesus has to say. This is incredibly significant, friends. And we'll work this point out during the sermon, but I want to stress it up front. The woman in Luke 7 does not walk into this room in order to be forgiven. She walks into the room because she is forgiven. And compelled by that forgiveness, she goes straight to the man who has given it to her. She goes straight to Jesus. And so the woman's example in this passage is a real life illustration of the truth that we're meant to see. Forgiveness is a powerful reality that can change the life of a sinner. Can change the trajectory of the worst person's life. And that reality is found only with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the theme of this text. The theme is Jesus and the forgiveness He gives to sinners who trust Him. Now in terms of structure, it helps to think of this moving passage in three parts. Verses 36 to 39 describe the woman's approach to Jesus. Verses 40 to 47 describe Jesus' conversation with Simon the Pharisee. And then verses 48 to 50 describe Jesus' words to the woman, as well as the crowd's response to Jesus. So, three parts. And what I'd like to do is draw your attention to what each part teaches us about forgiveness, but most importantly, what it teaches us about forgiveness and Jesus. Let's start in verses 36 to 39, where we see that forgiveness frees us to honor Jesus. Forgiveness frees us to honor Jesus. We learn in verse 36 that Jesus has been invited to a dinner party hosted by a local Pharisee. That may surprise us, considering that the Jewish religious leaders are increasingly hostile to Jesus. And perhaps this particular Pharisee is skeptical about Jesus. Perhaps this invitation is less than friendly. Who knows? It is somewhat surprising that a Pharisee would invite Jesus to dinner. But what isn't surprising, friends, is the fact that Jesus accepts the invitation. I love this part of the story. Notice the patience of the Lord at this point. The Pharisees have been nothing but trouble for a while now, and still the Lord goes to the dinner party. He doesn't write the Pharisee off. Instead, Jesus goes because he understands that everyone, both tax collectors and Pharisees, need to hear the good news of the Gospel. That's a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, friends. He is patient. He's patient with His enemies. He's patient with people even who oppose Him. Now, it appears that this dinner party is a special occasion. It could be a Sabbath day meal. And that means the guests are distinguished men of good social standing. This is more than a backyard barbecue, in other words. This is a gathering of high culture. And into this gathering of high culture walks the woman with a sinful reputation. We've already noted her notorious life, which means this is not the place you would expect to find this kind of woman. And yet, here she is. Verse 37. Walking in among these distinguished men of highbrow culture, 
What is she doing here? Well, verse 38 tells you, the woman has come to shower Jesus with an excessive display of affection. And it is excessive, friends. What the woman does in these verses is extravagant. It's lavish. It's unrestrained. She is overcome with emotion for Jesus. And she relates to Him as if there is no one else in the room. In fact, notice how detailed, how vivid Luke's description is in verse 38. The woman's every move is narrated. She stands behind Jesus at His feet. You reclined during meals in Jesus' day, so your feet were away from the table. She stands behind Jesus at His feet. And she's weeping. This is not a small whimpering cry. This is a flood of tears that stream down her face and soak Jesus' feet. And so the woman lets down her hair to dry Jesus' feet from the flood of her weeping. Understand, friends, a woman in Jesus' day would never let her hair down in public. It was a disgraceful thing to do according to custom. But this woman is unreserved. She's unashamed even. She uses her own hair to dry Jesus' feet. Then she kisses His feet and anoints them with her bottle of perfume. Her kiss is not a passing thing either. This is a kiss of unbridled gratitude. It's the same word used in Luke 15 to describe the father kissing his prodigal son when he comes home. And so the woman is overcome with joy because for her, coming to Jesus is like coming home. Coming to Jesus is like coming home. And she showers Him with affection even as she washes His feet with her tears. It's, it's moving, isn't it? It's gripping. But we should also understand that it's a profoundly humble thing to do. Washing someone's feet was a menial task. Only the lowest servants washed people's feet. And Jesus' feet would have been dusty from walking the roads in Palestine. But the woman doesn't care. Her heart is overflowing with love. And so she gladly humbles herself to perform such a lowly task. And her humility, friends, is a sign of her devotion. It's very clear that Jesus is the central person in her affections. Jesus is the one worthy of honor. In fact, that's the key point in these opening verses. The woman willingly endures the social dishonor in order to give Jesus the honor He deserves. I'll take the shame, Jesus. You get the honor. Please don't overlook that, brothers and sisters. The woman understands that people are going to despise her for doing this, but her love for Christ, her devotion to Jesus, overcomes any fear of despisement. She endures the looks. She says, give me the whispers if that means I get to give Jesus the honor that He deserves. It's such a moving, moving picture. The Pharisee, on the other hand, hosting the party understands nothing of what the woman does. He doesn't understand much about Jesus either, or God. Notice verse 39. 
The Pharisee, whose name is Simon, assumes that Jesus can't be a prophet. Why? Because no self-respecting prophet would let such a sinful woman get so close to him. You see, the Pharisee is offended by Jesus. He's offended that Jesus is the friend of tax collectors and sinners. In the Pharisee's mind, Jesus should be above associating with such people because that's how a mighty prophet would act. That's how a wise religious teacher would conduct himself. He would shun the unclean and the sinful and the lowly. And so the Pharisee is offended by Jesus. It's so sad, friends. The Pharisee misses the truth that's on display at his own dinner table. And the Pharisee misses that truth because he can't see past his own self-righteous assumptions. The woman, on the other hand, she's the commendable person at this point. She's free to love Jesus. She's free to honor Jesus as He deserves. Do you see the contrast, friends, between the self-righteous Pharisee and the sinful woman? The Pharisee is still enslaved to his own self-righteousness because he hasn't tasted the freedom of forgiveness. He can't bear to humble himself before the Lord. This is striking. It's not immorality that keeps the Pharisee from Jesus. It's pride. It's not the things he's done wrong. It's the things he believes he's doing right. And while pride might seem less shameful than immorality, it's just as deadly. And that's what keeps the Pharisee rooted hard-heartedly to his seat. All he can do is judge the woman and dismiss Jesus. But friends, that takes us right into the second truth from this text. Forgiveness frees us to honor Jesus. And in verses 40-47, to we see that forgiveness also fuels love for Jesus. Forgiveness fuels love for Jesus. Remember, Simon the Pharisee has just thought to himself that Jesus cannot possibly be a prophet. So what does Jesus do? Well, he proceeds to read Simon's thoughts. How's that for prophetic insight? Notice verse 40. And Jesus answering him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he said, say it, teacher. Now in Luke's Gospel, whenever Jesus reads someone's thoughts, a rebuke typically follows. And that's what will happen here. But notice first the way that Jesus draws Simon out. He doesn't confront Simon with a fiery rebuke. Instead, Jesus tells Simon a parable. Verse 41, A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? So Jesus' parable is about forgiveness, isn't it? The two men are in debt, though their amounts differ. The one man owes the equivalent of about 20 months worth of salary, while the second man owes the equivalent of two months. Yet despite the obvious difference, the money lender forgives both of the debts. Graciously wipes them out. But then Jesus asks the question, the one that Simon needs to consider, which of the debtors will love him more? And Simon, for his part, answers correctly, even if 
begrudgingly. Verse 43, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And Jesus said to him, you have judged rightly. Now we can see that Jesus is not finished, though. It's not enough for Simon to answer correctly. That's just the setup. Beginning in verse 44, Jesus then switches gears and applies the parable to Simon and to the woman. Jesus contrasts the two. And surprisingly, it's the sinful woman who fares better in Jesus' contrast. Notice what Jesus says, verse 44. Then turning toward the woman, He said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Friends, this is what you might call a plot twist. The woman has been a better host than Simon. The sinful woman has shown more hospitality than the self-righteous Pharisee. She's the distinguished guest, not Simon. Simon didn't warmly greet Jesus with a kiss, but the woman hasn't stopped kissing Jesus' feet. Simon didn't ensure that Jesus' feet were washed, but the woman has washed them with her own hair. And Simon didn't take any steps to publicly honor Jesus, who is certainly the guest in the focus of the meal, and yet the woman has gone out of her way to anoint and honor Him. Do you see the great difference here, friends? The woman, Jesus says, has shown the greater love. For all of his religious training, Simon is in danger of missing the truth. This woman who doesn't have Simon's background, who comes with her own baggage, who kneels there weeping and wiping Jesus' feet, this sinful, forgiven woman understands more of the heart of God than the Pharisee does. And that's what Jesus presses home to Simon. Verse 47. Here's the rebuke. But again, note the Lord's kindness and how He delivers it. Verse 47. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. Friends, I want you to see that Jesus doesn't paper over the truth. He acknowledges that this woman is a sinner. He even recognizes that her sins are many. But instead of seeing the woman only in light of her sin, Jesus now sees her in light of God's mercy. And that's the difference. Simon can only see the woman's past sin. But in obsessing over her past, Simon misses what God is doing in the present He misses what God is doing in and through Jesus. How He's calling sinners to Himself. How He's mercifully providing forgiveness to those who have no hope of it on their own. Friends, that's the great tragedy of this passage. In trying to protect His self-righteous little kingdom, Simon misses the beauty and the mercy of God's kingdom that's sitting at His table. And that mercy is beautiful, brothers and sisters. It's beautiful. Verse 47, Jesus says the woman is forgiven. Think about that. No more guilt. No more shame. You know guilt and shame are the twin terrors of a sinful conscience. And the only remedy for those terrors is forgiveness. 
The only way to escape guilt and shame is to hear those glorious words, your sins are pardoned. They're forgiven. They're wiped clean. And that's what this woman has received from Jesus. She is forgiven. And the form of the verb here in verse 47 indicates that the woman has come to Jesus in a state of forgiveness and she will go out from Jesus continuing in that state of forgiveness. In other words, her forgiveness is not earned in this moment and her forgiveness will not fade after this moment. That's why she's so excessive in her love for the Lord. Her love is fueled by the forgiveness that she's received. Do you see it? This is really important, friends. This is the difference between getting the Gospel right and completely distorting the good news. So I want you to see it in the text. Look back at Jesus' parable, verse 42. And notice how love followed forgiveness. Do you see it? The moneylender first forgave the debts, and then the debtors loved Him. You see, that's Jesus telling us how to understand the woman's situation. She's not earning forgiveness by loving Jesus. Rather, she loves Jesus because she is forgiven. And brothers and sisters, that is one of the takeaways for us from this text. I trust we all want to grow in love for Christ. I trust that's true of you just like it's true of me. And what we need to learn here is that one way we grow is by seeing how deeply we need Christ's forgiveness. This is counterintuitive, I think, for most people. We prefer to downplay or to deny how bad off we are on our own. We especially like to favorably compare ourselves to others and then use that comparison to assuage our minds that our situation really wasn't that dire. Sure, we needed a little forgiveness, but our debt wasn't that big. My, my sin wasn't that bad. Or at least we don't want people to think it was that bad. But if this woman in Luke 7 teaches us anything, it's that our love for Christ grows as we become more aware of how desperately we needed Him to forgive us. It's only when I see my sin for what it is that I truly begin to appreciate the grace and the glory of forgiveness. You can't make yourself feel verse 38. You can't make yourself have that emotion. You only feel the way the woman feels when you see the magnitude of the debt that Christ has forgiven on your behalf. It's counterintuitive. But the deeper I see my own need, the greater my love is for the Savior. Listen, friends, this is why confession of sin should be a regular part of your life as a Christian. It's why we make a regular part of our worship together as a church, the corporate confession of sin. It's not because we want to morbidly think about how bad we are. It's not that at all. We're actually trying to love Jesus more. We want to take to heart what Jesus says here in this text. The one who is forgiven much, loves much. So it's counterintuitive for sure. But it's also glorious, brothers and sisters. The end result of seeing how, de how deeply I need forgiveness is this greater love for the Savior. 
At the same time, though, you may have noticed that there's another side to that takeaway. And perhaps this is something we also need to remember this morning. One of the reasons self-righteousness is so dangerous is that it undercuts love for Christ. Think about it. If I'm convinced that I'm not as bad off as other sinners, that my sin is not that serious, then why would I be moved with gratitude for Jesus? Why should I humble myself in devotion before Him? I mean, sure, He forgives sinners, but I'm not as bad as those other people who really needed Him. You see how self-righteousness cuts the legs out from love for Christ? If I think my ailment is small, then I think the remedy is not that big of a deal. You see how dangerous that is, brothers and sisters? Listen to me. Far too often, our love for Christ is weakened not by the things we've done wrong against God, but by the things we believe we're doing just fine without Him. Don't give that self-righteous spirit one inch, friends. Own up to your sin. Stare it in the face and own it as yours. And then remember that it's been borne away at the cross by the Savior of God's people. Confess it before the Lord. Don't hide. Don't deny. Confess and bring it to Jesus. And when you do, you'll find that His mercy is so great, He takes hold of your life like He did for this woman in Luke 7, and everything changes from there. That's the second truth from this text. Forgiveness fuels love for Jesus. Let's look at the last truth now from verses 48 to 50. Forgiveness follows faith in Jesus. Forgiveness follows faith in Jesus. In verse 48, Jesus speaks directly to the woman for the first time. And His words are an expression of assurance. Don't miss the fact that this is the first thing He says to her. Verse 48, And Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. Again, Jesus leaves no room for misunderstanding. The woman's sins are completely and fully forgiven. She will leave this room knowing that her need has been met and it's been met by this man Jesus. And friends, this puts Jesus' identity in central focus in the passage. If only God can forgive sin, then here we have Jesus doing what only God can do. He's connecting Himself with God. Do you see it? Understand, Luke has been driving us to this question for the entire time in chapter 7. When Jesus raised the widow's son, back in verse 14, the crowd wondered about Jesus' identity. When John the Baptist sent messengers to Jesus back in verse 20, they were asking about what? About Jesus' identity. And now this scene makes the question inescapable. That's why in verse 49, the dinner guests begin to ask the right question. Look at verse 49. Then those who were at table with Him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Friends, that's the right question to ask at this point. This is the central question of human life. Who do you say that Jesus is? 
In fact, Luke writes to impress upon us the urgency of this question. There is no neutrality when it comes to Jesus. You either reject Him like Simon the Pharisee and face the reality of your sin on your own, or you can trust Him like the woman does and receive forgiveness through His name. All of human life is wrapped up in verse 49. Do you see it? All of human life comes down to this question. Who is this man? Jesus. And in His kindness, Jesus leads us to the right response. Verse 50. It's addressed to the woman, but it's also a call to everyone who hears God's Word. Notice the Gospel clarity of verse 50. And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now we can see very clearly that the woman is not forgiven because she loves Jesus. No, she's forgiven because she trusts Jesus. Her love flows from the forgiveness that she has received by faith alone. And through that faith, the woman has received forgiveness and peace. Imagine how sweet those words must have sounded to the woman. She can go home in peace. She doesn't have to carry the guilt and the shame of whatever she's done. She doesn't have to be subject to the whispers and the stares of the crowd. They may still whisper and stare, but she knows they don't mean anything now. This woman can go out in peace. It's the peace of a clean conscience, which is an invaluable gift, isn't it? It's the peace of knowing that you're in good standing with the Lord of all the universe. You see, that's the Gospel truth that closes this incredible passage. I hope you hear, friends, how Jesus' exchange with the woman is a picture of what we received through the Gospel. Salvation, which includes the forgiveness of sins, comes through faith alone. In Christ alone. We cannot work off our sins. We cannot perform enough righteous deeds that will somehow erase the sin we have committed. We cannot even love Jesus enough or be devoted to Him enough to earn a new start. None of that. Jesus is telling us very clearly that forgiveness is found through faith alone in Him alone. And when we trust Jesus, friends, our sins are completely and totally forgiven. You may need to hear that good news this morning. I need to hear it. Over these long and difficult days, you may have fallen again into some sin. And you're listening this morning under the weight of guilt and shame. If so, then the Lord Jesus is calling you, friends, to hear the good news and believe it. When we trust Jesus, our sins are completely and totally forgiven. Even the worst sin you've ever committed. Even the sins no one knows about but you. Even the ones you've been waging war against for years now. Even the sins that you've struggled against this past week. 
through faith in Christ, there is complete and lasting forgiveness for every sin of every believer. Believe it, brothers and sisters. Believe this good news. Your salvation began by faith alone. It continues by faith alone. And that lasting salvation will comfort you today, right now, by faith alone. Believe Him. And so, as Luke chapter 7 comes to a close, the main question we've been considering is the question of Jesus' identity. Who is Jesus? That's always the main point when you read the Gospels. Every passage is telling us more about Jesus Christ, revealing more of His identity, teaching us more about His work, calling us again to faith in His name. Jesus is always the focus in the Gospels. It's why God gave us four, because He's so glorious. But one of the unique aspects of this passage is that it also causes us to ask, who am I? Who am I in this incredibly moving scene? We began this morning by noting the sinful woman who walks into this room with a notorious reputation. She easily gets your attention. But there's another sinner in that room. One who is in a much worse position than the woman. It's Simon the Pharisee, isn't it? Remember, there are two debtors in Jesus' parable. And both of them need forgiveness. The woman may have the more notorious reputation for sin, but Simon the self-righteous needs forgiveness too. He's just as needy, though he doesn't see it. And so that's where Luke chapter 7 ends. Remember, friends, God's Word is always bringing us to a response point. Luther used to say that when we read God's Word, it reads us. And that's true. God's Word always brings us face to face with the truth. So Luke chapter 7 is asking you this morning, who are you? Are you like the sinful woman who received forgiveness through faith and now devotes herself to loving Jesus? Or are you Simon the Pharisee who stands on his supposed righteousness, his heart unmoved, and his eyes not seeing the mercy of God in Christ. Ah, friends, how I pray that we are all like the woman this morning, aware of our sin, but rejoicing even more in the forgiveness Jesus gives to those who trust Him. Cast yourself on His mercy, friends. Whether for the first time or with renewed faith, Cast yourself on the Savior. And when you do, what you'll find is that love flows from a heart that is forgiven. Amen. Let's pray together. God, we do thank You that You forgive sinners who trust in the name of Your Son. We thank You that Jesus' blood is enough to cleanse even the vilest sinner. We pray, God. Oh, how we pray that You would help us to see the depth of our need so that our hearts might soar again in renewed love for Christ. Make much of Your Son, God, through our church. And use us now, God, even in uncertain days, to proclaim the good news of mercy and grace and forgiveness through faith in Jesus' name. We ask this, Father, for the glory of Christ and in His name.
Amen.